Liberty lockdown, piss in your barcode Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe Let's get into the show Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Liberty Lockdown. I have a very special guest with me today. It is Bradley Thomas. He is the uh, creator of the website EraseTheState.com. He's also got a book, Tweeting Liberty, Libertarian Tweets to Smash Status and Socialists, which I could have written myself, I might add. Uh, and he's at Erase State on Twitter. Welcome aboard, man. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. I, I left out a few things. He's also... Uh, contributor to the uh, Foundation for Economic Education. Any other things I'm missing? Uh, yeah, I've been published at uh, Mises.org and, and Libertarian Institute uh, as well. So um, yeah, people can just find my find my content in those those spots. And uh, again, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to talk with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess uh, the, we would be remiss not to talk about the, uh, the GameStop shenanigans. And I always enjoy talking to fellow uh, Austrian economics students when we look at these things. So give, give me just your, your brief um, background on, on what you think has transpired and, uh, and where we go from here. Yeah, I mean, what, what a, a fascinating example of just when the, when the people actually recognize the power they do have in their hands, you know, what they are fully capable of doing. It's um, it, yeah, it absolutely is. Um, uh, what the, I guess the downside, if you will, is that uh, when the government comes and has a look at this situation, sadly, I think they're, they're going to crack down on, on the Reddit crowd, on the GameStop crowd. Um, sure. and, and that's just kind of predictable. Um, you know, I tweeted out earlier today, uh, um, you know, a, a headline about uh, from yesterday about the Biden administration, you know, looking into the GameStop situation. And then by today, the, the stock was down, you know, 45 percent. Right. So like, you, know, <laughs> you don't this is, you know, this it, it kind of reveals two things, you know, what the people can do when they take the power into their own hands, but then also how the powers that be will respond when people do try to rise up and make some significant changes. You know, I mean, they, these uh, uh, Wall Street bets, uh, uh, Reddit crowd, you know, they did a whole lot more to shake the very foundations of Wall Street and the big fat cats on Wall Street and the big bankers than, than all those Occupy Wall Street protests back a decade ago combined. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, I said yesterday on my show, I did an emergency ep episode explaining to people what was occurring because I, I had a lot of followers that were totally bewildered, and uh, I, I made that exact comparison. I said, "This is like Occupy Wall Street grew a brain." You know, like they, they actually utilized the tools of the game against itself, and I couldn't be more proud. I, I, I totally agree with you though that we're we're likely to see increasing regulation every they're going to pull out all the stops to try and prevent this moving forward i guess my question for you is i i think that that ultimately this this lesson that we can unify against the cathedral so to speak is is undeniable and basically unstoppable i mean it can be delayed it can be fought it can be made harder you could throw speed bumps in in people's way but I don't, I don't know that you can put this genie back in the bottle. What, what do you think? 
Yeah, uh, a lot of people's eyes being opened by this. Um, and, you know, those that hold the levers of power, uh, they they are vastly outnumbered exactly. by the rest of us. Yep. Uh, and, and the sooner that we wake up to that fact, the better. Uh, I think, um, and and this is one of the problems that I've written about is the uh, this kind of this superstition, if you will, of state authority. People just fall in line because they've been trained, they've been conditioned, especially in the in the government schools, they've been conditioned that the this this entity that we know as government, as the state, has some sort of moral authority to to rule over us, and we have some sort of duty to to obey to their to their wishes, to their rules. Um, so this is just some, a, a glimpse into, well, wait a minute, you know, we vastly outnumber them. Uh, even just if we're talking about, you know, these traders through this Reddit platform, um, you know, vastly outnumber this small number of hedge fund managers. And, you know, even though they have the deep pockets and, and the big dollars on their side, we have the numbers. Mm -hmm. And when we put put uh, uh, you know our effort together and focus on a goal it's amazing what can be accomplished so you know if we can kind of apply that mindset in other venues I think uh, that would be really encouraging I agree yeah I think that the the asymmetric economic warfare may be the the libertarian or the NCAP answer to the tyranny that we're experiencing and I I hadn't seen it as a possibility, largely, honestly, because I thought that the youth of this country didn't have the financial resources to be a player in this way. Uh, I guess in some regards, the stimulus funds that they received absolutely or ultimately served to undermine their plans. You know, it's, it's, a, really, it's a really beautiful irony that the, the Wall Street bets crowd was fueled with government printed money. And, and basically now it's undermining the entities that benefit historically from that very money. It's, it's really fascinating to watch. Yeah. But I think that, uh, I guess my question is like, it seems to me that, you know, they can kill a Discord, they can kill a Reddit, a subreddit, but can they, can they, I mean, I think it's just going to be like, you know, you, you can, you can alienate these people, you can drive them into, uh, deeper and darker corners of the dark web, so to speak. But I don't think that you can stop this. So, I mean, do you think that this, that this can actually be regulated out of existence? Because I, I don't think it can be. Well, they, they're certainly going to try. Right. Um, I, th I think we can agree to that. Uh, that's a given. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, you know, kind of like weeds, you know, you pull one and, and uh, a dozen more pop up. Well, either uh, that or fighting I, terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So so I think, you know, the more that they that they're going to try to shut down this these kind of Wall Street bets um, kind of organize or, you know, Reddit accounts and, and so forth, the more they try to shut them down, the, the more that that uh, they're just going to keep popping up in other places. Yep. I mean, I, I was looking on it today. I think there was uh, uh, something like a, an excess of 5 million uh, users on that platform. Wow. Uh, I mean, you're, you're just not going to be able to make those people go away. You know, you know, you can, you can try to shut it down, pull the plug on, on one specific platform, but, but they're going to keep popping up. And now they, again, they, they see the power that they have in their hands and what they can do. Uh, 
it's just going to, it's going to be like uh, blood in the water for the sharks. They're going to want, they're going to want more. And, um, you know, <laughs> you were talking about the stimulus checks and, and I was about to say, uh, you know, they, they better stop messing around with this or else they're not going to get any more stimulus checks. <laughs> you know, the government's going to be like, that's not what you were supposed to do with that money. <laughs> These kids all live in their parents' basements. So it's like the, the money that they get from the, uh, from the stimulus or, or UBI or whatever they plan to roll out. I really think will be weaponized like this moving forward. So it's a really interesting counter argument against UBI in that, I mean, well, it's actually, a, it's a, it's an interesting argument. It's an interesting counter argument against my hatred of UBI in the sense that it in some ways uh, arms the, the dissidents in, in society. And for that reason alone, I have to kind of change my perspective. Like, are, are you a, a collapsitarian in the sense that like you believe that, the, the fiat system. I mean, as an Austrian believer, I'm sure I'm sure you are. But uh, do you think that there's any hope of the of the dollar surviving, or and and or um, what's your prognosis? You know, timeline wise. Yeah, I mean that that's such a good question. I mean, I can't really predict a, a specific timeline. Um, you know, as an Austrian, we we uh, um, you know we we can get into the cause and effect, but but not ne- necessarily uh, uh, quantify a specific timeline and things like that. But sure. Uh, sure. Man, when you look at the, all the money printing going on, uh, in particular in this last year, uh, it's it's got the potential to get pretty ugly. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, how the Fed responds when the and well the inflation measures that they follow, you know what they consider to be inflation, when those start to tick up. And uh, you know uh, Hayek uh, wrote a book called The Tiger by the by the tail exactly uh describing this phenomena as as once it starts to kick in and then the fed tries to combat it, it it's just it's too late and the problem is just going to continue to compound so um you know exactly what that means exactly the time period i mean i'm i'm hearing that uh, significant inflation measures could start to kick in and uh later this year uh to what extent you know it's going to depend again on what what the banks do what the what the fed does to try to reverse reverse those pressures and if it's too little too late so you know kind of we kind of know the direction we're headed but a lot of the specifics just really depend a lot on uh, really what the fed and how the banks and the government respond you know that's that's undoubtedly true and you know people people listen to my show, they always ask me for updated timeline guidance. And I, I try to give it to them just based off of a hunch. But at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, we have the, the logic and the backing to, to make the evaluation and the analysis, but bubbles, bubbles can last long. Like as the, as the Reddit guys said, we can stay uh, retarded longer than you can stay solvent. So like, I I don't know how long this will will last, but uh, I think that it should be noted that, you know, if you have an economy that's basically in shambles, which we do, and you have a stock market at record highs, which we do, and you have real estate at record highs, which we do, uh, that doesn't, that doesn't last forever. Like either, either the economy is going to have to improve and, and people are going to have to get raises at work. They're going to have to get, um, you know, more, more employment. And then you might be able to buy a couple of years. I don't think that's going to happen because I just think that the economy itself is so sick to its core. Um, we haven't really seen the true, ramifications of the lockdowns yet because they have uh, put moratoriums on foreclosures and evictions as a real estate broker myself. That's what I'm really watching is if, if, and when, cause they have to end it at some point uh, you have this glut of inventory hit the market. I think that's where you start to see 
the the trembles all across the banking system because it, regardless of how much they have uh, have increased standards for borrowing, it's still I mean it's still a house of cards. I mean it's record low interest rates. This is all predicated on on unsustainable debt, and I just don't see any path to you know a glide path as they call it, like a, a soft landing. And I just think that we're we're essentially set up for doom. And I hate to say that, but the 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 optimistic aspect of this is that you know you me my audience are are aware and we're able to plan accordingly i'm i'm curious what you're what you're doing with your you know investment practices or 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 work or whatever to uh to prepare for what you think might come and and whenever it arrives yeah yeah i mean uh putting some money in bitcoin and precious metals uh i mean i think that's Yep. going to be the way to go moving forward. I mean, you, you're flooding the economy with all these fiat U.S. dollars. Uh, we're, we're going to see we're going to see precious metals rise. We're going to see. Uh, I mean, obviously, Bitcoin uh, not that long ago, I think uh, peaked at forty thousand. It's it's dipped down back a little bit, but I think that's got still got a lot of upside as people just continue to lose faith in the U.S. dollar. And they see more and more of this money just being pumped in and pumped into the economy into people's hands. And it's just created out of nothing. <laughs> and it's not backed by real savings. It's not a reflection of the time preferences of, of people in society. You know, people aren't actually saving more. And, and they're, so therefore, uh, you know, all this money being lent out into the economy is based off of real savings. It's just out of thin air and you just absolutely cannot sustain an economy on that. And so it's I, I quite frankly, I'm pretty surprised that it has been propped up and the bubble hasn't burst just yet. So the longer and, and this is uh, what Mises wrote about, the longer you prop up the economy like this, the harder the crash is going to be when it comes. Yep. And that's exactly what we saw in 09. I mean, because it was so so artificial. You had people with no no jobs borrowing a hundred percent to purchase a house and then renting it out. So if you had any any down uh, tick in the market, they were immediately insolvent. And you know it's not it's not that bad this go around, but prices are much higher and uh, un- unemployment is much higher. So it's a it's really it's like I'm looking at a tinderbox is how I feel. Uh, it just it just makes me sick to my stomach that you know my friends family even though I have had some luck in impacting their worldview and, and preparing them. Uh, I just, I just don't know that there's anything I can do to, to really save them from what I see coming other than to try and be, um, you know, stand so high that I can actually help lift people as the the flood arrives. It's, it's, it's intense, man. I, I, I talk about this all the time and I know that um, people probably get sick of it, but I, the the main reason I do this show is is because I'm I'm trying to offer you know I feel like Noah like I'm try, <laughs> I'm trying to build an ark and 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 get the uh, the and caps out of the way of the flood because it, it really I I just know in my bones that we're on the cusp of it I, I don't know are, are you around my age I'm 38 oh I, I'm uh, about a decade older than you okay so you've been uh, the, the reason I ask I've is been around <laughs> yeah you've been you've been around long enough to see the dot-com bubble you've seen the oh yeah. nine collapse um, so do you do you get the same instinct I do as to how you're seeing kind of this frothy blow off top is that is that the vibe that you're getting yeah 100 percent 100 percent and, and uh, you know I, I think the whole game stop um, you know, it's just a reflection of the just the broader speculative uh, nature of 
of investments in, in Wall Street when the Federal Reserve engages in this kind of money printing. I mean, the result is always a lot of speculation. And this is just mm-hmm. kind of a, 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 a symptom and really just bringing it to light. Um, you know, it, it's kind of speculation on steroids here. Um, and one thing I think is important to point out, too, is that uh, the, the, the whole speculation on Wall Street and everything is really driven, you know, as we've talked about, by the Federal Reserve. And I think it's important for people to recognize, too, is that, you know, when the Fed prints all this money, creates all this money, it keeps interest rates basically near zero at or near zero for years now. Um, you know, what are savers supposed to do with their money? I mean, your, your average middle class working guy who's trying to set some money aside a little bit here and there over years to, uh, to set something up for a nice retirement. I mean, you can't just put something in a safe, you know, savings account and, and earn any sort of interest and let the interest compound over years. You're not getting any return on that. So this really compels your, your unsophisticated investors, your average middle-class working guys and, and, and gals that, that don't really understand much about the stock market, they're sitting there and, and looking at, well, I need to try to save up for retirement. I can't get any sort of uh, uh, returns on a safe investment or, you know, say savings account, any sort of interest rate uh, returns. I've got to go in and let me check out this stock market thing. That seems to be doing well. So you get all these people <laughs> that are going in, they, they don't necessarily really understand a lot about the stock market, but they don't really have much choice if they want to keep their savings and grow their savings uh, ahead of the rate of inflation and the way that the, the Fed is creating more and more money and eroding the value of their dollars if they would have just been sitting in savings accounts. So it really compels people into the stock market and uh, 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 fuels this speculation. And unfortunately, it's a lot of those people are un- going to end up getting burnt. Uh, in the end, when the whole thing crashes down, uh, absolutely, yeah, it's it's greater fool theory. I mean, it's essentially you have the the big boys that understand the game that that front run all of this. They they ride the wave. They they see the populist you know movement to get into the market because they're all starving. They can't get any return on their investments, as you said, and then it forces speculative investing. And I, I think that that is the untold story of artificially low borrowing cost. Uh, or, or artificially low interest rates uh, maintained by the Federal Reserve that that only Austrians understand. It's like everybody else is completely in the dark about this phenomenon, and it's just, you know, I've been I've been a libertarian for so long. It's just so obvious to me that that's exactly what transpires. Mm-hmm. As particularly as a mortgage broker, I mean, I see this firsthand as I I, I interact with my my peer group who are all like uh, scrambling to buy their first houses during a fucking depression, and I'm just like, <laughs> please God, don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It really scares the hell out of me, um, but it's just so hard to to convey it to people because you're right; they don't they don't have a better option. It's like we uh, I remember, uh, God, when was it? Maybe ten years ago or fifteen years ago. You can get five percent rate of return on a on a short term CD, you know, at a bank, and and that is you know now it's like a quarter percent return or something insane. So it just it really does force terrible practices, and and it's kind of it's kind of propelled by wall street itself at this point because they're they're essentially addicted to cheap money and this is this is like this is the game now and i just think that the game itself is kind of a uh a game of last man to the chair and i i'm just i'm just nervous about it being the 
the average mom and pop investor, which is left holding the bag, which is always the case. I mean, it's all, it's always the case that the, that the little guy is the one left holding the bag because they don't understand, they don't know how to read the signs to see that things are starting to implode. Um, I personally believe that, that yesterday was the beginning of the end. And I, I don't make that call lightly. I really believe that when you see, I also saw some, saw some statistics on how high um, a consumer like investing investment holdings are in terms of like percentage of the stock market. And it's at a record high. Like there's, there's tremendous participation in this market, even though we have really high unemployment. And I think that that is always a signal that it's the game is nearing an end. Um, I don't really have a question there, but if you want to hop in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just an, an incredible disconnect between what we're seeing in, in the stock market and on Wall Street and and the real economy, the underlying economy. I mean, the, the fundamentals that were thrown out the window a long time ago when you're looking at the stock market is just a lot of speculation fueled by fiat money. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, housing uh, as, as uh, well, I mean, you're in the business, you can see the housing going up as well. I mean, those are the people, the people that are any you know, in the investor class, those are always the ones that benefit from these, from these bubbles by these fed fueled bubbles. Those are the ones that, that, that benefit the most. And so now we, we have, uh, you know, middle-class working class people trying to get their way, find their way in to that investor class, you know, in, in the stock market, because that's where they see everyone is making their money. These great gains to be made, you know, people yep. don't want to miss out on that. Or you that know, or, or real estate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly right, exactly right. So, um, uh, you know, and then here's the Federal Reserve telling us that, well, inflation is is still really low and everything. Well, the inflation is going into the stock market. I mean, <laughs> you know, you yeah. have stocks that are going up 300% in the matter of two days or whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, you might want to open your eyes to that inflation. You know, you look at, at housing prices, you know, bumping up against all-time highs again. You know, that's where the inflation, you know, that's where that money is going. That's where the inflation, but the Fed is, is either oblivious to it because it's not part of their official CPI inflation measures or, or they just don't want to admit it. Or willfully ignorant, yeah. I I don't know. I, that's that's always been a, a question for me. Are these people evil, or are they true believers in a in a false god? Uh, you know, in Keynesian economics, I I'm not sure. What do you have a theory as to whether or not they're they just view the world differently, or are they malignant? Wow, um, such a good question. Um, I I would. I, I will speak a little bit on, you know, just from the Keynesian perspective, I think a lot of uh, folks who are trained in the Keynesian school, are, they're, they're true believers. Uh, they, they believe that doctrine, they, they believe the Keynesian theories. Um, I, I have a graduate degree in economics, where pretty much that's what I was exposed to was Keynesian economics. I mean, my my real economics education didn't begin until, you know, I, I started reason, reading the Austrians and it started making so much sense. <laughs> and once you understand the Austrian school and, and the, the, the theories that they apply to, it really opens your eyes to just what garbage Keynesianism is. <laughs> well, that, and, that's, that's interesting. Were you, were you indoctrinated into the Keynesian school when you were in uh, grad school? Um, luckily I was not, I spent, a, I went to, to grad school a, a number of years after undergraduate and, uh, I, I really kind of in between, I picked up this, this was basically kind of a life changing book for me. I picked up Thomas Sowell's basic economics and I said, why 
was this not taught to me like this when I was an undergrad? I took a couple <laughs> econ courses in undergrad and they were the most boring things that I ever sat through in my life. <laughs> I picked up Soul's book and I'm like, this makes sense. Yeah. This clicks. Yeah, um, well, it, so it definitely it holds a greater aspect of of logic to it than Keynesianism does. In my in my, you know, basically unscholarly opinion, I I'm a I've gone to college, I have a degree, but I, I didn't go for econ, I went for business. So um, did, did you feel as if you were allowed to push back when you were in college? I'm just curious. Um, I mostly just kind of kept my head down on that stuff. Uh, I, I do remember one class I signed up for, it was, uh, I think it was called healthcare economics. And I still remember in the first five minutes of the first class, the professor started lamenting about how the United States is the only industrialized country without a government-run single-payer healthcare system. So I just said, mm, I'm out. <laughs> I went and, and filed the paperwork to drop that class. I just said, I am not going to sit through, you know, 10 weeks of this propaganda. Um, so yeah, I just, I kind of kept my head down. I, you know, dropped a class where I had to, uh, absorbed it. There was some, there was a couple decent professors along the way, but it was mostly just kind of doctrinaire Keynesianism. I, I still kind of chuckle. My macro textbook was actually written by Ben Bernanke. So that, that oh, gives you Jesus. a perspective of what we were being taught. <laughs> well, that guy used to talk about uh, having, uh, going back to the gold standard. So he, he had to have some decent ideas at some point in his life, but he obviously uh, got, got off the, the boat, so to speak. Um, with, uh, with Keynesianism, do you think that there's any any lessons from it that the Austrian school could actually use? Oh, wow. Um, I, I think the, you know, the best lessons uh, that we take from Keynesianism is, is really just from the counter. You know, <laughs> yeah. The counter, how to counter it, how to counteract it. Um, I think one of the best insights is uh, uh, I think Hayek talked about this a lot about how Keynesianism really just covers up and papers over um, you know, the micro aspects, you know, the Keynesians get caught up in just these aggregates, you know, they, they treat, uh, you know, investment spending, for example, as just one big lump, mm -hmm. like a big lump of clay. Um, whereas the Austrians give you that insight of just the heterogeneous nature of, uh, of, of uh, the means of production, you know, productive resources, uh, not only just on their different uses for different, um, uh, you know, for different purposes, but also the dimension of time, mm -hmm. you know, that is such an important component of Austrian uh, business cycle theory is just the different stages of production, um, you know, further away from the finished product and just how that is impacted, especially by uh, when the Fed suppresses interest rates, you know, the different um, uh, sectors of that production process, if you will, you know, are going to be impacted differently. And it really throws off that intertemporal intertemporal coordination uh, mm -hmm. of the economy that a freely adjusting interest rate would, would help coordinate and bring and bring into harmony. Yeah. Well, that, that's been my experience too. I, I've, I've essentially discovered that I'm a, I'm a tremendous contrarian investor simply because I disagree with Keynesianism, but I understand it. So like I'm able to, to a kind of, um, project out, expect what the Federal Reserve will do, expect what politicians will do, and then I can play against their game. Is that Has that been your investment thesis, is to just kind of know the game before it hits you in the face? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've just been kind of, you know, don't fight the fed, (laughs) Uh, you know, (laughs) you know what they're doing, you know, you know, what, what's going to happen, you know, what the response, uh, you know, by the market's largely going to be, you know, where the new money's largely going to be injected in, you Mm -hmm. know, don't, don't try to fight the fed. Um, you know, if, if you, if your goal is to make money, uh, as an investment, uh, or as an investor, you know, just follow those trends, follow those trends and ride them out. Well, Um, my, my favorite thing is to, to, win it on both sides. Basically, like I, I, I can sense when the market gets frothy. Uh, once it dumps, I know that the Fed's going to intervene. So it's essentially like if you see a big collapse, you can pretty much without caution, you know, just launch yourself into the market. Uh, it's, it's not a healthy way to do things. And, and I, don't, I don't believe that the system is sustainable. But ultimately, if you understand it, you can benefit tremendously from it. Like, for instance, I, I bought my first houses in 2009. And then I just, you know, churned them because I knew that, you know, from the bottom, it was just going to be uh, basically a, a moonshot in, in real estate. And I'm, I'm actually currently building six houses and I hope to be out in about four or five months. So I'm praying this bubble lasts a little bit longer. I guess that's probably why I started off the interview with asking you when, when this shit hits the fan, because I, I really need to get out of this project. Uh, but as of now, uh, this market, I, I live in San Diego, this market is projected to be you know, like a 10% gain on real estate over the next 12 months. I, I obviously projections are nonsense, so it doesn't much matter what the projections are, but the, the trajectory is extraordinarily strong. And it's just the most counterintuitive thing because you're looking around at all your friends that are like working fucking Uber jobs. And you're like, how are people buying houses? I don't, I don't understand this, yeah. um, but people are, people are finding a way. I mean, those that have maintained jobs and in some ways, I actually, I've, I've, chosen to be white-pilled from the lockdown in the sense that it has really demonstrated a level of resilience, not only to the economy, but to humanity itself. Like the fact that, I, I don't know about you, but I, I dealt with major depression during the early lockdown because I just felt like my whole world was crumbling. Um, but I've been really amazed that people have handled this as well as they have. Did you expect it to be worse than it was? Yeah. Um, there. I mean, we, we don't, I don't want to downplay, uh, you know, the negative aspects that there, there has been, we have seen spikes in substance abuse, suicides, and those that's absolutely tragic. Absolutely. I mean, this, this has taken a significant toll on a lot of people. Uh, but, uh, you know, speaking from the white pills perspective, like you were saying, you know, human beings also have an amazing capacity to adapt to new circumstances. Uh, and, and you look at, uh, especially with the, the use of technology, the way people have really kind of uh, re-evaluated and, and created a new vision for, for how people can work. Um, uh, but then, but then again, the downside to that is, uh, uh if a lot more people continued like working virtually, uh, what impact is that going to have on the commercial real estate market where oh, people, you know, businesses destroy. don't need office space. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, there's ups and downsides, uh, involved, but, but again, you know, the, the human spirit, the, the human willingness to, to survive and do what it takes and adapt to different circumstances is, is just an, an amazing trait. Uh, and so if, if we can find some rays of sunshine, you know, in, in this otherwise dark uh, period we've had over, over this last year, um, you know, I, I think that's something that we can, we can cling to. Yeah. Uh, it's almost mandatory. I mean, <laughs> if I, if I wasn't able to find some humor or some optimism in, in all this darkness, I think I wouldn't have survived it, honestly. So um, I, I agree. It's, it's really just, I, and I totally agree that it's been devastating to people, both economically, mental health, 
um, a, a ton of ways, health, uh, in general. So it's been, it's been awful, but I just think that the, it's, it's kind of interesting because there's like, there's a, a sense of creative destruction that, that is actually occurring from, from within lockdown. So like, it's not, it's not capitalism's version of creative destruction. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of like free will creative destruction in the face of tyranny. I don't know. I'm, I'm definitely, I'm grasping at straws here to spin this positively, but I'm just saying, I think that it's been, it's been remarkable that people have been uh, so innovative. I mean, just look at the GameStop stuff. It's like, a, it's a bunch of kids trapped in their houses for the past 10 months that just decided, Hey, we're going to band together. We're going <laughs> we're to short squeeze some hedge fund. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing to see what people are capable of uh, even in the worst of times. So I'm, I'm choosing to stay positive. Anyways, let, let's pivot to, uh, to Bitcoin. Cause uh, it sounds like you're a believer in that. I, I would like to know, I, I am a, a late adopter. Sadly, I had an opportunity to get back in in 2010, like when it was brand new and I fucking scoffed at it cause I'm a moron. Uh, when did you get involved? Why are you a believer? You know, just kind of give me your, your thesis on it. Yeah, I, I was definitely a little bit of a late adapter. Just, uh, you know, the technology was a little, <laughs> a, a little confusing to me, you know, for, for a while. And uh, us um, older guys struggle with this yeah, tech it, shit. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. <laughs> it, this was all foreign to me. But uh, I, I tell you what, any opportunity to, to try to break free from the government's, you know, monopoly on the currency I think is, is just fantastic. I mean, one of the strongest holds that the state has over us is the fact that they do have that monopoly on, on the currency that we use. I mean, that's how the economy runs. I mean, every, you know, essentially every transaction in our economy, one side of that transaction is using currency, using the accepted medium of exchange, the money. Right. So when the government controls that, they control so much. They control so much of our lives. They control, uh, you know, the, the price of money, so to speak, uh, you know, the interest rates, everything else. So I and they think- can, And they can fund their deficits. They can and, arm their soldiers. And wars, I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's so basically all, the fuel for everything that we hate. Yeah. So, so competing currencies um, is, is absolutely fantastic. It's, it's a huge blow to the state, to state's uh, power over us. Uh, and, and I really support that. And um, uh, you know, one, one question uh, about Bitcoin was, you know, whether it satisfies um, you, you know, the, the definition of money, what, where the origin, how money is created, you know, money typically arises and develops in the market because it first has an underlying value um, for, for other uses. And then it becomes widely accepted um, uh, uh, as a means of exchange. So, you know, that's something I had to, to kind of investigate and research a little bit about, you know, does, does Bitcoin kind of satisfy that uh, definition. And I, I did find some interesting stuff. Uh, Jeffrey Tucker uh, wrote some really good articles about that and just kind of, uh, he, he would describe it a lot better than me, but basically saying kind of the underlying value of Bitcoin was, was the blockchain technology itself. So, mm -hmm. you know, it did have some, uh, uh, does have value uh, I, underlying, you know, separate from its use as a medium of exchange. So the, so, the thing I've, the thing I've struggled with the most is the fact that while I believe that the blockchain does have intrinsic value and the network itself ultimately ends up being the value uh, behind the currency. I, I'm curious, I, the, the main reason I didn't get in when I had the opportunity way, way long ago is because I still viewed it as, in a sense, fiat because it was duplicatable. Did you struggle with, with gra grappling with that as well? Because it's like, 
you, you can have obviously Bitcoin, but then you can have the same code, name it something else, and then you can have 21 million of that. And it like uh, that was honestly uh, as as rudimentary as it is. That was the hardest part for me to grasp. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I was in the same boat as you on that. Uh, you know what? How exactly are these coming into being, and and how easy or or difficult, and what's the process of of creating more? Can it can it just be, um, you know, created really easily, and and it does kind of turn into something that's fiat or or not? So that yeah, that was that was definitely a, a concern yeah. uh, early on for me as well. Yeah, it's like obviously I know that that Bitcoin itself is limited at twenty one million coins, but uh, my point being that it's like you can have a di- just a different brand name, same code, same structure. Uh, but then, uh, you know, I've talked to enough people to understand that that it requires such widespread adoption. And there's a multitude of reasons why it's very unlikely to be duplicated. So I think that that's, that's the other issue. Now I'm on the flip side of this argument where I'm like, okay, so essentially the argument is that Bitcoin as a cryptocurrency virtually cannot be competed with by another cryptocurrency because it doesn't have enough uh, widespread adoption. It, have you heard that argument? And and does it not strike you as being a little counter to the nature of economics to have any product that could function without competition? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely an, another interesting aspect of it. You know, can, can it really exist like that without any direct competition or, or being uh, uh, duplicated, like you're saying? So, um, you know, usually when we talk about something that's, that's a, a monopoly like that, it's something that's propped up by the, by the government, <laughs> uh, right? right? Exactly. You know, product like that. So, uh, which kind of leads me to, to another concern is, um, you know, I think some people are some people who are a little bit skeptical of Bitcoin because it, it can be uh, potentially traceable. And, you know, once the government figures out how to trace it um, uh, and track the transactions and so forth, um, you know, they are going to have a willingness or, or an eagerness, I should say, an eagerness to to try to try to control it, try to regulate it, and and then uh, I think there's some some rumors or discussions about um, them looking at developing a Fed coin, you know, oh, kind yeah. of their own cryptocurrency, which you know, you, you know we know the government would tip the scales heavily in favor of Fed coin to try to put all the other cryptos, you know, out of business. So. Um, so that that's obviously a concern, you know. Just like anything else, the government uh, sees something that people uh, have created spontaneously and, and are finding value in, and competing with, you know, what the government uh, has to offer, and and their initial reaction to it is is going to be, how can we stamp this out? Right. No, I think you're exactly right. I mean, Yellen, the uh, incoming Fed chair, is is talking about that all all day, every day. So uh, I'm I'm extremely nervous about what they're going to do regulatory wise and, and in terms of like hunting down and tracking uh, transactions for goods that they disapprove of and things of that nature and just trying to basically suppress dissidents. But I, I, I pivot back to the story with GameStop and, and these uh, <laughs> redditards, as I call them, uh, you know, finding, finding a way to profit and thrive in a system that is not structured in a way that is supposed to benefit them. And I really feel like in a sense, Bitcoin may be the same thing where it's like, yeah, of course, they're going to try and regulate it. Of course, they're going to try and crush it in its infancy. But I'm not sure you can put the genie back in the bottle. Do you think Do you think that Bitcoin becomes, in, in a sense, a secondary global currency, you know, in, in direct competition with the US dollar? Is that 
is that too far-fetched or do you think that's actually almost inevitable? Uh, I, I think it's, it, it's, it's possible. It's going to be kind of gradual. And, and in part, I think is just because as um, older generations start to, to die out, you know, the older generations that are not tech savvy. Right. And so now we have a new whole new generation or two coming up that are just, it's just an extension of their fingertips, you know, is, is their phone or their, or their laptop computer or whatever, you know, they're very tech savvy and this is just second nature to them. Um, you know, so, so the adoption rate becomes very high and, and, and can multiply very easily uh, because people are the, the younger people and the generations coming up are so tech savvy yep. that it's just kind of second nature for them. Yeah. They'll um, be way more comfortable with it. Exactly. Right. So I think that's, that's going to be the trend, but, but it could, it could take, um, you know, it, it'll kind of be a race between how quickly the government can try to crack down on it, regulate it, put it out of business uh, with their own kind of Fed coin situation, uh, a race between that and, and just the, the spread of adoption, um, yeah. both in the, in the U.S. and internationally. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. And, uh, you know, the, the one advantage that we have as a decentralized force of Redditards is that they can't keep up with us, you know, like that's, that's always been the way of the, of humanity is like, essentially we, we stay in front of the bureaucracy simply because we, we strike in guerrilla warfare, you know, we're like, you can't, you can't go after all of us. But I, I think that the, the main reason that I became so much more interested in Bitcoin other than the printing over the past 12 months, which absolutely sent chills through my body what what made me so much more interested in bitcoin as of late is the fact that they are hunting dissident thought and they're all of the deplatforming that we've witnessed over the past 12 months really put a fire under me to be like okay i have to have a mechanism to bank independently because i don't think it's too far fetched and in fact they are already pursuing some dissident thinkers to deplatform them, not just from social media, but to go after insurance contracts, banking. They've already, a bunch of banks already closed Donald Trump's accounts. It's like, this is, this looks to be the future. I've described it as fascism. Is that hyperbolic or do you view it similarly? No, I, I mean, they're, they're taking, you know, cancel culture to a whole new level, right? Yeah. They're, they're taking it to the next level. It, it, it used to just be, well, uh, we're, we're just going to uh, get you taken down off of social media. Uh, then it progressed to, well, we're going to dox you and, and tell people where you work and expose you and try to get you fired. Now it's like we're going to take away your ability to even make a living, not, not only from you know trying to get you fired from your job, but you can't even do banking. You, you can't even um, get insurance in some aspects. You can't receive payment. Uh, I mean, if, if, if you get... Uh, you know, fired from your job and, and uh, people want to take up your cause and try to donate to your cause or something, they'll, they'll uh, have PayPal and, and these other uh, uh, platforms, payment mechanisms, you know, uh, uh, ban you. Yeah. GoFundMe's get taken down. Yeah. yeah. Everything. It's, it's really like a global excommunication. It's, it's one of the most aggressive oversteps I've not only have I ever seen, but that I could ever imagine. I mean, they are trying to unperson people. It really, it really feels as if they are just trying to make it impossible for anyone that goes against the cathedral, as I call it, uh, to to function in society. Uh, is that? Is, are you yeah. concerned that you know you're uh, you're not quite as much of a fireball thrower on Twitter as I am, but you definitely have some dangerous ideas? Are you concerned about them that them pursuing you? 
Uh, yeah, I've thought about it, and especially with the recent purge, you know, that, that took place after uh, January 6th. Um, you know, I, mean, I lost, uh, I don't know, something three, 400 uh, followers yep, you know, in the course of a couple of days. So that, that was really eye opening. And, and I've, I've written about this a little bit before on my website. Progressives say they are animated by justice and equality, but they're really animated by resentment and revenge. And Big it time. is playing out right now. They, you know, their, their attitude now is we had to suffer through four years of Trump. Now it's payback time. Right. And, and that's really, really frightening. They, they don't want equality. They don't want unity. No. They want vengeance and they want submission. Yep. And this is how they're going about doing that. Yeah. I, and I, I think that's a really great point because when you look at the conservatives, when they have power, I mean, you can argue that it's just because they're full of shit and they don't actually mean anything that they say. But there's there's a counter argument to be made that perhaps they're just not as vindictive. You know, they, they don't like when Trump got power. Sure. He went after, you know, the media and and some other entities that most of us hate. Um, but for the most part, he didn't like he didn't try to you know blacklist Democrat voters. You know, he didn't try and try and send hordes after these people to ruin their lives. It is, it, it's really an escalation of the battle between the two sides of this civilization that I, I did not expect in the near term. Um, did you, did you see this coming at all or, or did this ca- catch you as off guard as it did me? Um, I, to be honest, I'm not really that surprised by it. Um, you know, just, just kind of observing uh, how, how the left, how these progressives, how these radical socialists are just, just again, what they're animated by. Um, mm-hmm. Even if, if you want to go back to, uh, uh, you know, Marxian theory, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that is just really steeped in, in envy yes. and, and resentment of those that have more than you. Um, and, and they're really obsessed with, uh, uh, you know, hierarchies and, and power imbalances as, as they see them mm-hmm. and they're interested in destroying these. And, you know, if, if they perceive some people, some group of people to have power and are oppressing others, you know, in their minds, you know, what, what is a, a polite civil society obliged to do? Well, they, they need to punish the oppressors. <laughs> right. And so, so, you know, everything's on the to, table. Right, exactly. And then you start and then you start by saying, well, we're just going to go after, you know, the hardcore uh, Nazis and, and white supremacists. And then you start expanding that. And there was, uh, oh, God, uh, the one guy who was being interviewed talking about domestic terrorists. And, and then he lumped in libertarians with them. Oh, John uh, Brennan, former CIA yes, director. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank That's you. I mean, that horrifying. was Yeah. Uh, uh, unbelievable. Um, yeah, those, those libertarians who want to take over and, and leave everybody alone, you know, we, we need to put them on the, this domestic terrorist list. And that's just shocking. But that that tells you their mindset. Anyone who just doesn't go along with the, you know, the party platform of the left is an enemy of the revolution and they must be punished. Yeah, well, I, I think it's even more grim than that. I, I think that uh, essentially, uh, despite our peaceful nature, we may be the most dangerous group of people because we don't believe in the state and that that is their true you know altar that they worship at and and i think that that's the reason we got grouped in with the white nationalists and everything else is because regardless of our, our desire for peace and in my view peaceful secession would be ideal that is completely untenable for them i mean it, it might as well be you know literal blasphemy 
<laughs> for us to talk the way we do. And so that that's why I wasn't surprised. But additionally, John Brennan is, I, I believe, had Trump won re-election, I think he'd be in prison. Like, I think that guy is an absolute traitor to this country. And I, I'm putting on my Alex Jones hat, which by the way, uh, my, my boy Magnus, who was on my show last week, he <laughs> shouted me out on InfoWars today. So well, you'll, you'll get uh, probably a big bump on this episode, which will be very interesting to see. But um, anyways, I think that John Brennan was was deep, deep in all of the uh, the shenanigans in the Biden administration and also with Hillary and and the any potential um, shady dealings. I think that his hands were were all dirty, <laughs> just just all intertwined with these people. And I think that's why he was such a a stout defender of the cathedral and such an attacker of Trump for the past four years is because he realized that. Um, there was a chance if there was enough public support that Trump might act- actually pursue him. So I-, I wasn't surprised that he that he labeled us accordingly. Um, but I am, I guess I'm just I'm just disappointed. You know, it's like it's like it's I'm not surprised, but I'm disappointed. I, I really I thought that that given the fact that we haven't really done anything radical, uh, we just have radical ideas that they would probably not hunt us down. But I'm starting to get nervous that uh, that they may. They may try in the in the near term to deplatform people. Do you see Do you see any signs of this calming down? I mean, I I can't imagine that that the the left or the cathedral or the military is prepared to actually label you know all Trump supporters as enemies of the state and and take this path. It's it would almost assure a war. Is that I mean, is that hyperbolic to say that that it's what it appears is occurring? And also, do you think that there's reason for optimism that this might calm down a little bit in the near term? Yeah, well, I think they're they're seeking a, maybe a war, but by different means. Uh, you know, just a war within the culture and the institutions that they control. Uh, yeah, you know, well, they've I mean, been the doing left, that for a while. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So, so what they're going to do is they're going to do their best to blacklist, you know, anybody who engages in wrong think, and and they have, they control the levers of power at, at the the academics, institutions, uh, corporate boardrooms now, social media, obviously, uh, you know, the corporate press, and so on, all these powerful institutions that they control, they now can start uh, uh, blacklisting people for wrong think, they can start uh, uh, trying to exclude people from uh, so so-called civilized society, polite right. society, civilized and, society—the one that puts you in gulags, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, and and it's amazing too that they that they so demonize and and try to dehumanize, uh, you know, your your Trump supporter or your your libertarian who has all these uh, uh, naughty ideas, unthinkable ideas. They try to dehumanize us. But then when we talk about trying, wanting to secede, just having a peaceful divorce from this people, then they lose their minds and say, well, no, you can't do that. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I compare them sometimes to an abusive spouse, right? Yes, so very you, much so. If you got an abuse victim who suddenly wants to leave, uh, you know, leave her abuser, then like, well, wait a minute. No, you can't. You know, you, you have to stay here and, and because I want to continue abusing you. Yep. And you're not worthy, uh, you know, you're, you're not worthy of living on your own without me. And, and oh, by the way, you're going to have to stay here and I'm going to and continue to take my abuse. Yep. And I, the way I view the conservative voter that that isn't interested in secession at this point, I view them as having Stockholm syndrome where they're just like, oh, no, we can still reform this. Like, 
I'm sorry, folks, you can't talk people out of wanting you in prison. Like these people want, they want your lives ruined and they want to imprison you because you don't, you don't believe in the same things they do. And it's just like, I don't understand how, how we're viewed as radical for wanting to separate from people like that. It just seems to me to be such a given that, that they would be better off. And so would we for damn sure, if we could just break off. And I would like to see, you know, as, as many breakoffs as possible, but even if we could get into three, you know, I, I'll take, give, give the Liberty minded people one state and let the red and blue have the rest. Uh, <laughs> is that, is that, I, I honestly believe it's inevitable, but I'm not sure that it's going to happen in the near term. Do you think there's any hope of it? Well, I, I'm, 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 I'm uh, I, I was heartened by uh, even talk of s- secession swirling, you know, when Trump was president, you know, people like in California are like, well, wait a minute, you know, this is not my president. I don't want to live under his rules. Yeah. Um, but I think they don't take it to the next step. I think they're just like, oh, well, now that now that Biden's president, everything's fine. Right. You know, I don't think they then look at the other side's perspective. They're like, oh, well, Biden's not my president. You know, I don't want to have to live under his rules. You know, they they like when their people are in charge and everything is fine. And anybody who's complaining is just obviously, uh, you know, doing so because they're a racist or or, uh, you know, they're part of the patriarchy or right. or whatever. And they need to be fixed and corrected. And of course, then if they're not fixed or corrected, um, then then they just need to be, uh, uh, you know, they just we just need to su- uh, submit them to our will. Right. Yeah. Well, that <clears throat> that's the problem is that. Uh... I am unsubmittable, you know. <laughs> you just can't. You can't do it to me. I'm. I'm financially free. I work for myself. Uh, the the only real level of enslavement I have is the fact that I pay taxes and I live in the state of California. And it's. I mean, it's it's rough here. Don't get me wrong. But other than that, I'm almost untouchable. You know, I I work for myself. You can't really fire me from my job. Like, good luck. I'm not gonna fire myself. Um, you can't. You can't really shut down my bank accounts or any of this stuff yet. But that's why I, I see the writing on the wall. Like this is the next level of of pursuit of persecution where they start to go after the people that are truly um, insulated from their tyranny and go, okay, these are the people we have to target most because they already ha- like. I think that's one thing, one point that people don't really pay attention to is that the the level of speech suppression that's already occurring is, in my view, similar to any of the most tyrannical, you know, communist regimes you could imagine, because people are already changing what they say. I mean, I do it every single day. I do it on Twitter to try to not get banned. I have to, you know, tone down or, or slightly shift what I have to say, but I, I don't work for anybody. So like, I'm, I'm more aggressive than probably anybody else that's on there. Um, but ultimately people that have jobs, public facing jobs where, you know, if they, if they were to be doxxed, they could almost certainly be fired for the stuff they've been putting online. That is a real chilling effect that I don't think people pay attention to. And I just think it's so, it's so important that the libertarians in the ANCAP community do not in any sense run cover for tech companies that are uh, propagating this, this speech suppression. Are you as concerned with it as me? Or do you, do you lean more to the side of, you know, they're private businesses, they can do what they want. Oh, yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I uh, just published an article about a week ago on my website, um, you know, with, with the sarcastic headline, you know, saying, but they're private companies, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and I got into detail, basically, that that these big tech companies, they're, they're just appendages of the state. Uh, they're doing the state's bidding uh, w- with their obviously, uh, uh, you know, one-sided, 
um, uh, a censoring and, and banning of certain viewpoints. It's, it's very one-sided. They're doing the bidding of the state. They, they uh, get a lot, uh, I think it's Twitter or, and probably both Twitter and Facebook have a lot of contracts with the, with the CIA. They have state contracts and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're responding more to, to the state, to the government than they are to market forces mm-hmm. at this point, it seems like. And uh, I, I used a quote in that article from uh, Lenin, uh, when he was praising, you know, after the revolution, he was saying, now all of our industries, uh, you know, are, are working for the government uh, rather than providing for the market. And I said, that's where we're heading right now, especially with the big tech. Yep. Uh, and, and only I, you know, Lenin thought it was a great thing, obviously, towards the communist revolution. Uh, but, I, but I see this as a, a major red flag and a warning sign of, of just dangerous times ahead. I do, too. I, I think that it's it's really a classically blue-pilled libertarian take to view this stuff as private businesses just doing what they want. I mean, it's so much more complicated than that. It's so much more, in my view, transparently obvious that they are they are doing the bidding of the government. And last I checked, libertarians are not a big fan of the government. So please stop running cover for these fucking companies. Like it's this shouldn't be hard. I don't know why. I don't know why I have seen any libertarian running with this messaging that like, Oh, it's fine. You know, it's like, it's not fine folks. Like this is, uh, I'm not even going into section 230 or any of this, any of the like legality reasons. I'm not bringing up the bill of rights. I'm not, none of that. This is just a pure principled stance as a consumer of this product. This product provider is in bed with the government and they are doing the bidding of the government to some extent, if not entirely. I mean, you had 12 companies ban Trump in 24 hours. I'm sorry, that didn't happen uh, by coincidence. Like, I- am I crazy to think that that had almost certainly came from the top or, or at the very least they read the tea leaves and they said, oh, the incoming Biden administration would love this? Yeah, no, it, it's definitely was coordinated. I don't think there's any question about that. And, and something I think we need to realize is that, um, you know, yes, we do recognize the government, the state as, as the mortal enemy uh, of a free society, uh, but we also need to recognize too that there are other institutions uh, that can and do exert social control uh, sure. over over citizens, uh, like big tech, like uh, government schools, and, oh, and the like corporate hedge press, funds. And, and and hedge funds. Exactly right, uh, and and they are largely you know doing the bidding of the state. Uh, they're on the side of the state against citizens, uh, but we we have to recognize that it's not only the state that that exerts social control there are other means of social control uh and you know the left realized that a long time ago that's what they they started engaging in and what they termed the long march through the institutions Mm. because they knew the more of these institutions even non-government institutions that they control uh the the less support that those that do oppose the state uh are going to have there's going to be no uh you know there's going to be no backup (laughs) <laughs> for no, you're, us you're uh, right and then they were we right. opposed the state yeah absolutely so do you think that there's any hope of us correcting these institutions or is it simple as it has to go i i don't i, I think it's just these institutions um i think in their current form yeah i i, I think they're irre- irredeemable they're yeah. so intertwined with the state uh, uh obviously a lot of them are get a lot of their revenue uh from the state um, uh, you know, the, the, the government can threaten to withhold their funding if they step out of line. So I think the, the, 
the only way is to just completely sever their ties with the government. If, if there's any hope for reform, I don't think there's any way to meaning, meaningfully reform them in their current state. Yeah, no, I have to agree. And that applies to the state. It also applies to these tech giants that are so deeply incestuous and in bed with, with the state that it's like, I, I don't even think that there's any hope of uh, consumer force really really pressuring them adequately to get them to course correct at this point. Uh, if there were, I think it would have happened over the past few months uh, because they have lost, you know, major market share with these, these mass bans and deplatforming of people and they don't seem to care. I mean, it just, it continues. I had another big purge where I lost a couple hundred more followers uh, just, just this week. So they, they don't seem to be, concerned with the normal economic principles of a business of a private business where they're like okay well what help, helps our bottom line like these people are are not and and the problem with libertarians is oftentimes they'll say oh well it's just ideological beliefs i'm sorry these are publicly traded companies i do not believe that it's ideology that is driving them i think that they they have been either told specifically or they have been hinted at strongly that if you if you toe the line. If you ban dissidents, if you take this path, it's going to be better for you in the long run uh, financially. Uh, is that is that kind of how you see things? Or do you think it's it's more an ideological bent that's making them so deranged as to punish their bottom line based off of sick principles? Yeah, I, I think I think it's a combination of both. I, I think these folks uh, are are true believers in their in the cause and you know their progressive left wing causes, uh, but I think also they they are concerned with their bottom line. You know, the Mark Zuckerbergs and and Jack Dorsey's of the world they they have a seat at the table uh, yes. with with senators, congressmen, and so forth, and and uh, they're the ones that I mean, and this is how it works in, in most industries, you know, these are the ones that are writing the regulations for their industry. So they're, of course, they're going to make the regulations to benefit themselves, uh, keep out competition, create barriers of entry for, for, uh, for competition. Right. I mean, that, that's just how the game is played. And so, uh, yeah, they, they, so, so they can, they can both carry out um, their, their political beliefs uh, by you know silencing you know conservatives or libertarians on their platforms, but then also sleep well at night, knowing <laughs> their bottom line is not going to be impacted too much because then they can just go back to D.C. and say and, and uh, pass these pass these additional regulations or maybe get another fat government contract. Exactly, <laughs> and it'll make up for it. No, I think that's true. Uh, I, I always struggle to imagine that these people are so ideologically driven that they would, in the near term, near term. Um, you know, destroy their stock value if they weren't getting explicit instructions. Uh, but but I could be wrong. I mean, they, they uh, these are very smart people. I think that's the other thing that we do is we we underestimate our opponents to, just because we disagree with them ideologically. Um, I think that that particularly the tech gurus that are essentially taking over our our country are are very wise. And you know, regardless of how evil some of their ideas are, uh, they they know what they're doing. So don't don't underestimate uh, the sinister nature of of what they're actually trying to accomplish. I, I think that uh, it'd be a mistake because because at this point the system uh, as a whole, including the tech companies as well as the government, is so sick. I I am now starting to believe that it's almost forcing or uh, or driving to come about a a counter economy like where you you already have you know, your uh, alternative currencies with Bitcoin, 
I think that you'll start to see really hardline believers um, in free speech create uh, other social media platforms to compete. And then I think you'll start to see banks that have some sort of like airtight contract that's uh, with a mutable code or whatever. You could have uh, blockchain technology that gets involved to to ensure to people that if you bank with us, we will never deplatform you. I think that all of this stuff heads us in a direction of a completely uh, binary or split economy. Is that is that possible? Am I seeing that correctly? Well, I mean, you see some of the actions that they're taking, and it, and it looks like that could be the next step of, of people. Uh, this sounds almost crazy, but the economy becoming ideologically segregated. Right, exactly. Um, you know, if you're of one belief, you can go with this bank, uh, get this insurance, uh, use this sort of a payment platform and social media and so forth. And, and folks with a, of a different ideology, you know, use, use these other set of companies for mm -hmm. those needs. I mean, that, that could be where we're headed. Um, you know, it's, it's, it sounds almost crazy to say out loud, but you start seeing, <laughs> you start seeing indications of that where people are being not only deplatformed from social media, but being cut off from banking services and exactly and so forth. So, you know, to the extent the government allows it, you know, that's creating a, a, a need or a niche in the market, in the marketplace right. to cater to those people. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it does sound crazy. I agree, but it's, it's really pure, you know, demand and supply issues. It's like, if there's a demand for banking that that can't deplatform you and there's no supply of it, the supply is going to be created by some entrepreneur, most likely. And, and my hope with the skyrocketing value of Bitcoin over the past few months is that a few of the people that were early adopters of Bitcoin that are now worth, you know, crazy amounts of money um, or crazy amounts of Bitcoin, if you don't want to put it in fiat terms. <laughs> <laughs> uh, will will be inspired to use some of that wealth to create the next platform for which freedom can be found. Is that is that too Pollyanna-ish? Is that too optimistic? Or do you do you think that some of these guys will will carry on in the tradition of decentralization and uh, liberty-minded product production? Yeah, no, I think uh, that that form of social entrepreneurship is is you know really runs deep uh, and and with the with the internet and, and all the, the, the tech expertise uh, in the freedom and liberty movement, uh, I think that's just kind of the next step. You know, start creating our own platforms, start creating our own banking systems, start creating, you know, all our other, uh, different kind of companies that to, to insulate us from the government coming and cracking down and, and shutting those things down. So mm -hmm. I think over time, uh, more and more folks, you know, all those you know, all those smart and, and uh, entrepreneurs who, who now, <laughs> whether it's Bitcoin or GameStop stock, <laughs> you know, are sitting on some money that could make some investments and make it happen. So, so uh, Let, let's, you know. let's, let's hope they put it into uh, some decentralized uh, social media platform and not into like cocaine and hookers because uh, these, <laughs> these young kids, who, who knows what they'll do with their fortune. But I think, unfortunately, most of those kids are going to get their faces ripped off tomorrow or, or next week. Um, but I think that the, the Bitcoin true believers that were early adopters are, are some real principled people that believe in the, the idea of decentralization and entrepreneurialism. And I think that that's probably the most hopeful um, aspect of the, the Bitcoin run that we've seen as of late. And I'm, I'm choosing to be white-pilled over it. Anyways, uh, Bradley, I've taken enough of your time. Bradley Thomas at Erase State, and it is erasethestate.com. So give him a follow on Twitter and check out his website. He's a ter terrific writer. Uh, you can find his articles at libertarianinstitute.org, mises.org, and fee.org. Anything else I'm missing? 
No, man, just really appreciated the conversation and, and glad we have an opportunity to, uh, to get together and get this done. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you did not disappoint. I knew you'd be brilliant and you, you definitely were. So uh, thank you so much for the time, man. All right. Thank you. Alrighty, Alex Jones Legion. I know you're here. I know you're listening. Welcome aboard. Just so you know, some of my episodes are not such nerdy deep dives into econ. Sometimes I just scream about the government and how gay the frogs are. So don't give up on me yet. Hit that subscribe button, all right? And make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Liberty Lockpod. You can find me on YouTube, uh, Liberty Lockdown, and obviously iTunes, Spotify, everywhere else, Liberty Lockdown Podcast. So make sure you subscribe. And just so you know, I'm, I'm a big-time deal, folks. I got three more five-star reviews. So we got JJ Young, 1983, says, Refreshing. If Jason Stapleton wasn't a douche, that is this podcast. I am so sorry, Jason. But uh, the people have spoken. Uh, don't be so much of a douche. <laughs> we got Roxanne, 24, t- chiming in, says, uh, Angry libertarianism and conspiracy. You hear that, Alex Jones fans? Conspiracy is the home of Liberty Lockdown and Alex Jones Legion. How I describe this pod to friends still reluctant to take a red pill, angry libertarianism, conspiracy, and humor. As someone always too liberal for Republicans and too conservative for Dems, I didn't fit in with bipartisan politics, but who does? That was my caveat. And have just been apathetic. I only more recently have been allowing myself to really see what's going on in the on in the world, and Clint's podcast is refreshing, informed, eye-opening, and just as depressing as it is laugh-out-loud funny. What I mean to say is I like it. P.S. Episode 48, Travis has a soothing voice and is very handsome. It's true. Travis, a.k.a. Confirm Like It, is a bad motherfucker and sexy as shit. And lastly, I think, I don't know if I read this one already, but anyways, double shout out. At Grayman223, Freedom Jones says, I heard you on Biting the Bullet, and I've been a fan ever since. Keep up the solid work. I'll be catching up on all I've been missing. Hell yeah, you work, you will, Grayman, you freaking savage. I love you guys so much. I have a big week next week. We have Maggie Anders and Nico and Shane from What's Happening chiming in. So big guests, big week, big times. Stay free. Big shout out to everybody that's been with me since Jump Street. Appreciate y'all. World premiere. Welcome to Liberty Lockdown. Please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you're riding with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Like Nico and Shane, you're probably wondering what's happening. Scared Hollywood lefties lyrical fappening. A typo with Luke might bring the nooses. We all bite the bullet, I'm the king of the gooses. Freckles and Brit didn't know I could spit. Knew I was a patriot, but now I'm the shit. Peter Quinones, invite me on Which podcast sends custom songs Part of the problem, now I stand with the people Dave showed the way, but I am unequal Lions of Liberty now hear me roar Beat running up, but I got a bit more Robbie the Fire, always running his mouth But I made him a sandwich, now I'm man of the house No malice for Nick, but you're welcome to quit I went over BLM with the fire I spit Friends against government just call us fags Copy the Cairo, put mummies in the bag Liable opinions get thrown on the ground Silky Smooth Tom was the only sound Getting so 
so hot, must be Eric July. Screaming in the mic and rip a 59. Miles to Ray showed that black guns matter. Now all these lefties got crazy small bladders. None of us wanted war, but we're ready. You know I be bopping ain't rock steady. Liberty locked down, please scan your barcode. Your liberty ain't gone, but yeah, it's on hold. Where did it come from and where did it go? It requires a fight, not tweeting from your phone. Don't need a king, get him off the fucking throne. If you ride with the thought, you've always got a home. The virus you're scared of will come and it'll go. The government knows this, don't get treated like a hoe. Let's get into the show.